Well, good morning, Restoration Church. Pastor Kevin here. Uh, thank you so much for tuning into this online service. I am still so thankful that even in the midst of COVID and all the different things we're facing, so thankful that we were able to worship together uh, in this way. So thank you so much for tuning in. I know there's a lot of things you could be doing, um, a lot of places you could be worshiping, but thank you so much for tuning in with us today. As we do these online services, again, the goal is that we can uh, worship together, that we can study scripture together, and hopefully have some interaction with one another. So hopefully in those comments, you can engage uh, with one another, check in and see how each other are doing, excited for that. And there's a story that goes all the way back to the very beginning, all the way back with Adam and Eve. Uh, the story goes that Adam stayed out a little bit too late for a couple nights in a row. And, and he came home and Eve was a little bit upset. And Eve says, well, well who were you with? And Adam's like, don't be ridiculous. You're the only woman on the planet. As often happens, the quarrel continued for a little while until eventually Adam fell asleep. And Adam woke up with Eve poking him in his chest. And Adam wakes up and says, what are you doing? And Eve says, I'm counting your ribs. Now, I'm not really sure that story is biblical. I'm not sure that really happened. But most of us, we probably know that story a little bit, right? where maybe in a marriage it gets a little bit stale. You've heard this story. It gets stale. And maybe the spouse's cute habits that were once cute are no longer cute, and now they turn annoying. Maybe your spouse ages a little bit, and you begin to think, maybe there's greener pastures somewhere else. Maybe I could trade this model of spouse in for something newer and fresher and younger and more exciting or whatever it happens to be. Kind of the way our, our, our world is set up. In fact, Bob Goth. Bob Goff is the author of the book, Love Does. And in that, story, in that book, he tells a, a story that I find just absolutely amazing. His son was playing a game called Bigger, Better. And here, here's where that game goes, is you start with something small or trivial, and you go and knock in somebody's house, and you say, can you trade this for something bigger or better? And then you go to the next house, and the next house, and the next house, and you try and keep taking whatever you have and turning it into something better. And so that day, his son starts out with a dime, he starts with a dime, goes to one house and another and another, and he comes home driving a pickup truck. Now, that sounds pretty amazing. And that is a great idea with material stuff, but that is a horrible attitude to take in terms of our relationship. But again, isn't this kind of how our culture is wired in this day and age? Where if your relationship isn't working, if your relationship isn't ha making you feel happy, if you don't feel in love anymore, our culture just says, hey, go trade it up. Go move on. You find something else. You deserve to be happy. In fact, let me ask you this. How many of you have been on the receiving end of someone who loved you, someone uh, who, who you depended on? They ended up being faithless to you. They ended up turning their back on you. Let's be honest. How many of you have been tempted to, to give up? to be faithless in a relationship because maybe it got difficult, maybe it just didn't, maybe you just got bored. How many of us have been tempted to be faithless in that way? This morning, uh, if you have a Bible, we're in the book of Malachi, uh, chapter 2 today. Uh, again, here in this uh, book, God is calling out the, his people. He's calling them out for their indifference, for their lukewarm faith. And he's calling them back into this, this passionate and, and wholehearted relationship with God. And we've seen in, this, in this, this series, this book, it's been phenomenal. It started out with God reminding his people of his love for them. He's saying, I chose you. If you are a Christian, God's saying, I looked out of the course of humanity and I looked at you. 
and I chose to set my love and affection on you. How awesome is that? We saw how God addressed their half-hearted worship, how they were going through their motions and their faith and in their church, and God called it out to, to be genuine in that. We saw last week where God called out the leaders, the leaders in Malachi's day, the leaders of the church who were failing to be bold in truth, who were failing to actually live lives that honor God. And there was a specific thing he called them out for, specifically for a failure to teach scripture, a failure to teach the word of God, and it caused many people to sin. It enabled people to to sin and to stumble away from the way that God would call them to live. And today, we're going to deal with one of those areas uh, that the leaders have allowed the people to stumble, and that's in their relationship. That comes to this faithlessness that was in their relationships, where they looked at faithfulness and said, that is optional. When a relationship no longer suited you, when you got bored with that relationship, maybe when you found greener pastures somewhere else, maybe when they were something newer and greater, or maybe just simply the relationship got hard. The people of Malachi's day We're taught it's okay to give up. It's okay to try another relationship. And this was true in their general relationships and within uh, their marriage relationships. And so the text today, God is going to address this issue of faithlessness. And he's going to teach them and teach us that as God has been faithful to us, so we are to be faithful to others. And there's going to be, uh, the way the text is going to be laid out, is God's going to call out three specific instances of their faithlessness. And the first area of faithlessness is they were faithless in their general relationships. Starts out in verse 10. Here's what Malachi says. He says, have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then, here's the key, why then have you been faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? They were no longer being faithful to one another in their, uh, in their friendships, in their church relationships, in their business, in their family. And what God would want us to know is that as a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, uh, that your relationships, the life that you have in community with other believers is to be characterized by a fulfillment of our commitments, characterized by a fulfillment of our oaths, by, by keeping our commitments, by keeping our promises, that we should be a people who say what we do and we do what we say. But in Malachi's day, again, that commitment and those relationships, man, it came to be just what's convenient for you. You could go back on your word. You could change depending on how you felt. Now, it's easy for you and I to think, well, we could judge them. But let's just be honest. Let's just all be honest and be aware of our brokenness. If we were on a diet and someone put some pumpkin pie in front of you, let's just be honest that we have this self-indulgence, uh, self-indulgent uh, impulse that takes over. And maybe for you, it's not pumpkin pie. For me, it's pumpkin pie. Maybe for you, it's something else. But they put it in front of you, and we all have these emotional and physical impulses to gratify ourselves. No matter what our commitment was, we have this desire to, to gratify ourselves. And this is what God is trying to ad- address. This is what God is trying to, to warn his people of. He's trying to say, listen, faithfulness matters. Faithfulness matters. So stop being unfaithful to one another. And he doesn't just tell them to do that. He gives them reasons why they need to be faithful to one another. The first reason why he says to be faithful is because we are part of the family of God. That's what he says in verse 10. He says, have we not all one father? Which means if you are a a Christian, 
that your brothers and sisters, uh, other Christians are your brothers and sisters in Christ. We are part of one family. God's our Father, and we are all brothers and sisters. And so when we deceive or when we are faith faithless to the family of God, to our brothers and sisters, we are actually dishonoring our Father. We're dishonoring the head of the family. We're dishonoring God when we're faithless to one another. Second reason why he calls them to be faithful, because we have one creator. Again, that's what he says. He says, have we not all one Father? And has not one God created us? That's verse 10. See, if, if, if God expects us to live in, in faithfulness, and, and he does expect that of us, but if we choose to be faithless, if we choose to, to break our commitments, essentially what we're doing is we're trying to say one of two things. Number one, either God doesn't matter, or number two, when we choose to break our faithfulness, we are saying God's okay with my faithfulness. God's okay with my unfaithfulness. He's okay with not me not being faithful the way that I'm expected to. Now, here's the thing. Uh, we may permit that for ourselves, but we sure get hot and bothered when somebody else is unfaithful to us. When they break our trust, we sure get upset, don't we? And so, if my God says it's okay for me to be faithless, but then your God's going to hold you accountable, do you see how there's a double standard here? Do you see how we say, well, well, almost as if there's two gods, and it doesn't work that way. What God is saying is we are all dependent on, we are all accountable to one God, to one creator, the same creator. And that double standard doesn't work. It's either all in for us or not. Third reason why he calls us to faithfulness is because our faithlessness, it profanes uh, our covenant with the fathers, God's covenant with the fathers. Here's, here's what it says, verse, verse 10. Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Now, covenant it may not be a word that you are familiar with, but it is a big deal in the Bible. All the way back in the, be- in the beginning in Genesis, God made a covenant with, with a man by the name of Abraham. God chose him and said, here's, here, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to work for you. I'm going to, to bless you. I'm going to give you life. I'm going to give you hope. And not only am I going to give this to you, I'm going to give this to all of your offspring. I'm going to give this to all of those who belong to the people of God. So if you are a people of God, you are on the receiving end of this covenant where God says, I'm going to, 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 to work for you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you life and hope. That is for all of us as believers in Christ. But that's God's part. But in a covenant, there's also our part. So God's part is to do this. Our part is to obey. Our part is to follow, to, to honor God, to become more like him, to, to be obedient to him. And so what happens is when we are faithless to God, when we're faithless to our commitments, we are profaning the covenant, which means we are wounding or dismissing the covenant that God has made with us. Which means, basically, we're saying when we are faithless to one another, when we aren't keeping our promises, we are saying, essentially, God, you're not truly holy. You're not truly loving. You're not truly faithful. You're not truly holding up your end of the bargain. Sure, you might be a good father, but I'm not really listening to you. When we are not faithful to one another, we are profaning our relationship with God, saying we dismiss it. It doesn't really matter. That's a big deal. So the first area that God says, hey, listen, you have been uh, faithless in your general relationships. But it goes beyond general relationships. It gets more specific, where he's going to say that you have been faithless in marrying unbelievers. Look at uh, what my, uh, look what Malachi says in verse 11. He says, Judah has been faithless 
An abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has profaned the sanctuary of God, which he loves. And how has he done that? How has he profaned the sanctuary of God? He has married the daughter of a foreign god. Again, this text is written to the people of God. It's written to to Christians. And the issue that, that Malachi is dealing with here is that here are these people who are dedicating themselves to God. They have dedicated themselves to to follow God, to love God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, with all their strength. And now those same people are marrying someone who has not dedicated themselves to God, someone who doesn't love God with all their heart, their soul, their mind, and strength. They're marrying unbelievers. And there's a stern warning that Malachi gives to those who choose to do so. Verse 12 says, May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. What God is saying is if you turn your back on me by marrying an unbeliever, I then will turn my back on you. That is a a, a very stern warning to those who would choose to marry an unbeliever. And I I know the question becomes, well, well, why does this matter? Like, who cares who I marry? Here's the thing. Marriage is the most intimate personal relationship on the face of the earth. You will have an intimate relationship with your spouse more than any other person on the face of the earth. And just think, the person that you have the most intimate relationship with, do you think it's going to have an effect on how you live out your faith, on how you follow God? This is absolutely true. Those intimate relationships will have an effect on your faith. This is one of the big reasons why uh, throughout the Old Testament, you see God giving this continual warning to the Israelites in the Old Testament about not to marry unbelievers, because if you marry an unbeliever, they will, chances are, draw your heart away from the things of God. Or no longer will God be number one in your life. Now you're going to allow other things to become number one. In fact, you see a perfect example of this in, in King Solomon. King Solomon was a man who was blessed immensely by God. He was given more wisdom in him than any other man on the face of the earth. King Solomon was a man who had done tremendous things for God. He built the temple of the Lord where the presence of God resided. He did some amazing things. But if you know his story, the book of 1 Kings in the Old Testament, it tells how, how King Solomon, he loved many foreign women. In fact, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And so because of all this influence of these non-believing women that he married, 1 Kings 11 verse 4 says that when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away to follow other gods. He was no longer wholeheartedly devoted to God. And as a result, 1 Kings eleven six says he did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Again, those close relationships, they have tremendous impact on our faith and our faithfulness to God and to others. That's why God says, listen, you've got to, to choose to marry someone else who has the same faith as you. In fact, just a little side note, just a little side note. Uh, there's a behavior researcher by the name of Bradford Wilcox, and he began to do this research on the divorce rates in America. And you know what group within America has the highest divorce rates, divorce rates in America among any group that could be out there? The people that have the highest divorce, divorce rates are couples who marry with different religious beliefs. Again, you can understand the difficulty of that. And you know, you know which group has the, the, the lowest rate of divorce, has the highest rate of success in marriage? It's those couples who are Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, church-attending, active Christians. That is what the research shows. So here's, listen, here's the application for you today. If you are not married, 
Maybe you're an adult and you're trying to say, man, God, I'd love to get married. If you are a teenager just now beginning to think about dating, or maybe you're just a child today, here's your application. I'm asking you to resolve in your heart, to resolve in your heart today that when you make the list of what you want your spouse to be, what your spouse to look like, I want them to be tall, dark, and handsome. Listen, the one non-negotiable for you. I'm asking you to make this your one non-negotiable, that you would only date someone who loves Jesus, not just in word, but in deed, someone who is an active Christian who loves the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Make that your one non-negotiable. So God is calling out the Israelites for their unfaithfulness, their unfaithfulness to one another in general, their unfaithfulness in marrying non-believers. And the third act or instance of, of acting faithless is uh, in divorce. Here's, here's where it picks up verse 13. This is what you do. You cover the altar with tears and weeping and groaning. You make this big scene. And why do you do that? Because God no longer accepts your offering uh, with favor from your hand. And why doesn't God accept your offering? Here's what he says, verse 14. Because the Lord was a witness between you and the wife of your youth, who you have been faithless to, though she is your companion uh, and your wife by covenant. What God just said is that that day when you were married, if you're married, that day when you got married, whenever it was, God was there. For me, I think back to December 31st of 2001, years ago, when Sam and I stood at the altar, I said, I, Kevin, take you, Samantha, to be my wedded wife. I promise before God and all of these witness, witnesses to have and to hold you from this day forward, for better or worse, for richer or poor, in sickness and in health, to love until ch to cherish until death do us part. Listen, when I made those words on the altar on that day so many years ago, God was there and he stood as a witness to our marriage. God was there. He stood as a witness to your marriage, which means your marriage is not merely a human agreement. God is saying, I was there. I saw it. I confirm it. I recorded it in heaven. And because of that reason, because God was there as a witness, verse 16 says, I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. Again, I don't want to try and water that down. God says here, he hates divorce. He hates divorce because our little marriages on this earth are supposed to reflect the big marriage that he has for us. See, the whole idea in the Bible is there's this big marriage where, where Jesus is the groom and us as believers, we are the bride. And Jesus as the groom, he promises, he promises on the altar, he promises, I'm going to love you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm not going to abuse you. I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not going to betray you. He promises my love for you is not based on how I feel in the moment. God makes this promise. I'm not going to fall out of love with you. God makes this promise in this marriage to us that he's going to be faithful to the end. And if you are one of God's children, he's made that promise to you. I'm going to be faithful to you to the end. I will never leave you nor forsake you. But you see, in our little marriages, there to be a reflection or a picture of that great big marriage. And so when God's people divorce, God hates it because it sends a confusing message to people about the love of Jesus, about his devotion and his, his faithfulness to the people of, of God. That's why he hates it. Now, I know as soon as we start talking about divorce, we quickly move from the theological, which is where we are, to the emotional. So I want to make just a couple of statements dealing with marriage. Listen, 
uh, dealing with divorce. Number one, I want to be clear that God does not forbid all divorce. Biblically, there are some reasons where divorce is permissible, but not always ideal. These include sexual immorality, adultery, abuse, abandonment, death. These are all reasons that divorce could be permitted. The other thing I want to mention is some of you might be wondering, well, 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 I'm divorced. And so if God hates divorce, does that mean God hates me? No, no, not at all. Listen, listen, God hates divorce. He does not hate the divorcees. I mean, think about it like this. I have a daughter and my daughter just turned 13 years old. And what I, what I keep telling her right now is boys are terrorists. Stay away from them. Now, there may come a day 20 years down the road that she starts dating and she gets married. And God forbid she gets married and ends up divorced. Listen, there is no way, there's no way that I could hate my daughter. I would never, ever stop loving her. Even if her, biblical, uh, even if her divorce was biblical, there's no way I could hate my daughter but I can hate what she's having to go through. I can hate the pain, the hurt, the complexity, especially if there are kids involved and how it affects them. That's what God hates. That's what God hates. He doesn't hate the divorcee. He he hates what's having to go through. I would say this, that God hates divorce and marriage very, God hates divorce very much like a divorced person hates divorce. They don't like the circumstances. They don't like the difficulty and the pain. Listen, Malachi is trying to to paint this picture for the people of God. He's trying to paint this picture for us that sometimes we stumble in our relationship with God by acting faithless to one another, by marrying unbelievers, by acting faithful to our spouse in divorce. And God wants it to be clear to us and to the people in Malachi's day. He wants it to be clear that our faithful God is calling us to remain faithful in our relationships with one another. The question I know becomes, well, great, we're supposed to do that. We're supposed to be faithful to one another. It's hard. How do we do that? How do we stay faithful to one another? And Malachi gives us the answer twice. He says in verse 16, he says, guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. He says it again in verse 16. He says, guard yourselves in the spirit and do not be faithless. He says, guard yourselves. To guard means to protect, to put a a hedge of protection around you, to to put some barriers in place. So if you and I, if we're going to remain faithful in our relationships, we've got to be proactive. We've got to put some pieces in place to protect us. So I want to help you put some pieces in place in your life. Simply, I want to give you the ABCs of faithfulness. The ABCs of faithfulness. Three things here. A, The first one, the ABCs of faithfulness, A, is to acknowledge your brokenness. In fact, this might be one of the most profound um, yet simple things that we can do to to be a key to spiritual growth, to find spiritual maturity. In fact, as I've been praying over our church and thinking about us as a church, this has been my prayer recently that we, the whole of us at Restoration Church, that we would be comfortable acknowledging our brokenness. That we'd be comfortable not putting on a facade, not putting a smile and say everything's wonderful, but we'd be comfortable acknowledging our brokenness. Because what happens, and it's almost as if we're conditioned to do this, where we're conditioned to look like we have it all together, to act like everything's good. And when we begin to think, hey, and act like everything's good, maybe we begin to even think in our minds, hey, it's all good. I've got it all together. 
We begin to have a little, little bit of pride that says, you know, I'm smart enough. I'm wise enough. I see things right. I get it. I see things right. And maybe we begin to ignore our dark past. Maybe we ignore some of the darkness in our heart that's still there. Maybe we justify it. Either we, we begin to, to think or to show other people, look, I'm just, I'm good enough as I am. I'm good enough right now. And when we have the pride that says we're good enough, what happens is no longer are we, we trusting and relying on God. Soon we begin to trust and rely on ourselves, on our own thoughts, our own opinions, our own feelings. And we need to be reminded that, that Jesus said in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. That if you and I, if we are relying on ourselves, we can do nothing substantial for the kingdom of God. We can't accomplish anything great. But when we get to the point that we can consistently acknowledge our brokenness, at that point, we no longer depend on ourselves. We become dependent on God. See, for you and I to acknowledge our brokenness means we have to humble ourselves. We have to take off those rose-colored glasses where we see ourselves as being so wonderful. And we have to be real. We have to acknowledge, listen, every one of us watching this video today, all of us have junk. We have some junk. We have some sin we're struggling with, maybe some anger, maybe some hardness of our heart. Maybe some of us are feeling some of that self-indulgence that's tempting us to be unfaithful in our relationships. But here's what happens. If we can acknowledge our brokenness, as Christians, we live within the gospel, which means our brokenness doesn't leave us depressed, doesn't leave us losing hope. The gospel says when we acknowledge that we are not enough on our own, at that point we become a recipient of the love and the grace of God. That, that, that when we are weak, that is when we can be strong because it's now Christ in us. And so number one, we have to be people who acknowledge our brokenness because then we can live in the gospel where we're not relying on ourselves to be good enough, but we can acknowledge, man, we aren't good enough and we can rely on our Father in heaven and trust in Him. The ABCs of faithfulness, A, is to acknowledge our brokenness. B, is to be in the Bible to make the Bible a priority. Listen, the reality is, in our day and age, we have so much information that is available to us day in and day out through social media, through the TV, through uh, the news outlets, through our radio, through podcasts we listen to. And all of these things are constantly telling us, this is how you need to live. This is the right way to live. This is, this is what's right. This is what's wrong. There's nothing that's right or wrong. You choose how you live. We have all this information bombarding us, telling us this is a way to live. And our culture says, listen, if you're married, if you're in a relationship and you're not happy, listen, just disregard that relationship and find a new one. But listen, if we want to be people who live lives that matter, who, who, who live a life that honors God, that is obedient to God, our Father and our Creator, then we've got to be faithful to Him as He's been faithful to us. We've got to fill our minds with His truth with what he wants for us. In fact, I would say for me, uh, the greatest season of growth in my life, the times that I've seen the, the greatest growth and I've become as strong as I've ever been has been when I've made a daily commitment to read the word of God, to study scripture. 
where we open up the Bible and we are reminded of God's faithfulness to us. And it gives us the, the motivation that we need to be faithful to others. You've got to figure out how to make the Bible a priority in your life. Set a time every day. What works best for you, the morning, the evening, during lunchtime, during on a break at work? Put a reminder on your phone every day, hey, read your Bible. Set up a, a, a reading plan on the Bible app on your phone that sends reminders to you every day, hey, you need to read this. We've got to be people who make the Bible a priority. So ABCs of faithfulness. A, acknowledge uh, our brokenness. B, be in the Bible. C, we've got to be a part of the church. We've got to commit to being a part of the people of God in the church. Because what happens, what happens is this, is when, we, when you and I are thinking about being faithless, we're thinking about maybe divorce. Who is it that we call? Let's just be honest. We're going to call people who are divorced. And do you wonder what they're going, what kind of counsel they're going to give you? But when we are committed to the church, committed to the people of God, it means that we are part of God's family, which means we're going to sit under godly leadership, leaders who care for us and will point us in the right direction. We're going to sit under uh, the, the preaching of the word of God. And we're going to hear the word of God being taught and challenging us. And we're going to be in community, in community with other Christians. And here, this is the key for us, is to be in community with other Christians. And who are the other Christians? Is it the goody-two-shoes? Is it the people who are righteous? No, Christians are not people who are righteous. Christians are people who recognize their brokenness and recognize they are nothing without Jesus. When we commit to be a part of the church, and not just what we do on Sunday morning, but to commit to be in relationship with the people of God, which goes beyond Sunday morning. It goes into Sunday lunch and Sunday evening and life groups and being committed to the people of God. We get into this community with others who have a similar brokenness. We can all acknowledge our brokenness before God and our need for Christ, and that becomes a beautiful thing. It becomes a beautiful thing where we can give wisdom to one another. We can encourage one another when we're struggling. We can remind each other of the truth of the word of God. We can warn when, each other when we're being faithless. We can hold each other accountable. And it is such a beautiful thing when we commit to being the people of God, to walk through life with one another. Listen, if we're going to remain faithful in our relationships, as God has been faithful to us, man, the ABCs of faithfulness. Number one, be willing to acknowledge your brokenness. Be humble and acknowledge your need for Jesus on a daily basis. Number two, be in the Bible. Read scripture. Uh, read the word of God. And number three, see, you've got to commit to being a part of the people of God. Commit to being a part of the church. Listen, I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not. It's hard. My wife and I, we've been married for almost 19 years. And based on how old I am, we were married when we were like six years old. We've grown up together, essentially. Listen, in our marriage, I'll acknowledge we've had some very hard seasons of marriage. Not because of her, more so because of me, because I'm stubborn, because I don't always listen, because I'm selfish, because I don't love her the way that I should. And we go through these seasons where marriage is hard, and she looks at me and is like, really? And I look at her and I'm like, really? 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 And we go back and forth. And God's looking at the two of us saying, really? Really? See, but by the grace of God, by, by the grace of God, as we've continued to acknowledge our brokenness, and again, that's probably mostly me and not as much her, but as we've continued to acknowledge our brokenness, continue to pursue the scriptures and the word of God, as we've committed to the people of God, 
Listen, God has brought us some really good days in our marriage, some really good days. This past Tuesday was one of those days. We got to go out to lunch together, get a couple tacos, got to go to Costco together, do a little bit of shopping. We had dinner together. She wrote me this, this beautiful uh, note just professing her love and adoration for me. And we sat down on the couch and we cuddled, watching the voice together. And I'm sitting here thinking, I'm incredibly blessed. I'm incredibly blessed to be married to this woman. Listen, some days in marriage are hard. We have to work really hard and focus all of our energy on remembering the good days, the good days to motivate us to push through. Listen, I want you to know God loves you. God wants the best for you. It's not always going to be easy, but it's always going to be worth it to do things God's way, to remain faithful. We pray for us. God, I just want to pray that you would uh, just speak to us today. Speak to us about our need for faithfulness. God, I pray that we would be mindful of your faithfulness to us. That, God, you've given us these beautiful promises in Scripture. That you will never leave us nor forsake us. That you have chosen to set your love on us, not because we've earned it, but because we are unable on our own And it's out of that grace and love that you've chosen to set your love and affection on us. You've chosen to be faithful to us even when we're not faithful to you. God, that's an incredible picture of faithfulness. And God, because you've been faithful to us in that way, God, you are asking us to be faithful to one another in the same way. So God, I pray that you would challenge us to consider in our hearts and in our minds where we have been faithless, where we haven't been holding our end of the bargain where maybe our word has not been as strong as it should, or maybe we haven't been following through on the agreements we make and on the promises we've made. Lord, I pray for those that are uh, singles today who are not married, whether they are adults or teenagers or, or children. God, I pray they would recognize how important it is that you've commanded us to marry people who have the similar faith as us. And God, I pray for those that they would make that commitment before you today that they would pray and say, God, I'm making this commitment that this is a non-negotiable, that I will only date someone and marry someone who loves you. God, I pray that those who are single today, that they would reach out to a pastor, they'd reach out to someone else and say, listen, I've made that commitment. Would you hold me accountable to that? God, I want to pray for those who are married. God, I want to pray that you would encourage us to be faithful in our marriage, even on the days when it's hard, even when it's difficult that we would choose faithfulness, that, God, you would give us a grace that we need to to continue to push through, that, God, we'd think back to the good days that we've had. God, we'd know that there are good days in front of us again. Lord, I pray that you help us to understand marriage is not just about us, but there's this big marriage that is a picture of how you feel towards us. Lord, I pray that we would be the recipients of that love and grace today that we would know that you have set your love and affection and you have called us to that relationship with you that you've promised us to never leave us nor forsake us. In fact, I just pray right now that some of us just need to sit in that today, need to sit in the fact that, God, you've promised to be faithful to us. Some of us need to pray and say, God, I need to, to feel that today. I need to experience that today. It's been hard. It's been difficult. I need to feel your presence around me and over me once again. Lord, I pray that your presence would fill them. God, we are so thankful for you. 
for your faithfulness and pray, Lord, that you give us the strength that we need to be faithful to others. We love you, Jesus, and we ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen.